Well, um, there's no question that the last number of years, and it continues with the things going on in the world, that it's, uh, it's been a bit of a rough time in the last while. And there's, uh, I'm sure you've seen all kinds of articles and all kinds of news reports and, and probably even uh, numerous personal conversations about the sort of challenges that people are facing, the, the level of anxiety, uh, the folks who wrestle with depression, uh, people having this just this great sense of being overwhelmed by life and the circumstances circumstances of life and the news and all of these different things. And, and there's all kinds of talk about, uh, about burnout and, and this sort of thing. And, um, and then, of course, most recently is this thing, quiet quitting. You heard about that, quiet quitting, you know, where, where basically people are going to their jobs and they do the bare minimum to get by. So really in their heart and their mind, they quit because they're overwhelmed and overworked and all of these different things. And, but yet they still keep showing up, but just do the bare minimum. And then there's the backlash to quiet quitting. I mean, it's all sort of around us as as people try to wrestle with the circumstances of their life. And so, and, and so we're given all kinds of suggestions as to how it is that we can manage this. How do we get through all of this stuff? And so there's all kinds of advice that comes out. Well, make sure you, know, you book yourself some quiet time. and Make sure you take control of your time commitments and don't let anyone push you into a corner. And, and make sure you have time for reflection and, medicate, and meditation. Or maybe take every Friday off or, or you know, say no to all kinds of meetings. Don't, you know, don't, if it's not critical and it's not central, then just say no. Don't be a part of these uh, sort of things. Triage your emails and turn off your notifications and, and, and all of these things. I read one article and they were talking about uh, they, in, a, in a staff meeting and uh, so the people were talking about the burnout that they were facing and so on. And, and this is, the, the guy said, well, you know, you should do more yoga, you know, too much to the rolling of the eyes and the frustration of the people there. So, so there's, on the one hand, there's this state where people as a society were just sort of crumbling a little bit. And on the other side of things, there's these, um, these suggestions for help. I was struck by an article uh, heading, and this is what it said. It said, listen to this. The article said, the cure for burnout is not self-cure. It's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? The answer of the cure for burnout is not self-care because that's the message that we've been getting. Now, what it was actually talking about is a, is a recent book that's uh, called Burnout, The Secret of Unlocking the Stress Cycle by doctors Emily and Amelia Nagoski, her twin sisters, they co-authored that, that book. And I haven't read the book, I'm just up front, but I read you know, the reviews and the digest of it and this sort of thing. And, and the basic that they're, they're saying is, look, the, the answer to burnout, the answer to handle this stress, the answer to handle all this pressure we have, is not the self-care messages that we've been getting over and over again. Instead, the answer, the solution, get this, are healthy, interconnected relationships. That's kind of what their research is. That's what their suggestion is. That, that if we're going to talk about how do we handle the pressures of life, how do we process all of these things that are given to us, well, the answer, they say, at least in part, is healthy, interconnected relationships. Well, that makes sense to us, doesn't it? Because I'm sure you've all checked out, and if you haven't checked out, you heard from over here before, that, that when we talk about people's happiness and how it is that we get happiness or joy in our life, that the answer to that, we've seen again and again and again, is to living in happy relationships and to serve other people. And you can look at it, just Google it, just Google it, check it out, and you'll see that research after research indicates that, that it's this, that it's this outward focus. Now... That's nothing new. 
I mean, for some folks, I suppose it's new, but if you've been hanging around the Bible very much alone, we know that thousands of years ago, uh, the Apostle Paul has been telling us this, and he tells us this right here in Philippians, because if we're going to boil down to what we're going to look at today, the four verses in the first couple, in the second chapter of Philippians, basically what he says, Paul says this, he said, hey, make my joy complete by living in healthy unity. That's what he's saying. The only verb in this whole is one great big long sentence, as Chris put it on the website, all four verses, one sentence. And the only verb in it is make complete my joy. And so he's saying, that. how do you make my joy complete, says Paul? I'll tell you how. You live in harmonious, healthy, good unity. Now, we're going to explore this path to joy in the midst of stressful times. And I think it sort of comes in, in three stages. And we're going to look at them. Okay, so stage number one is the gift. Okay, the gift. And the second thing is the attitude. And then thirdly, we're going to take a look at some of the actions. Okay, so it's this. Receive this gift. Have this attitude. Follow through with these actions. That's kind of the path that we're going to go as we travel through these, these four verses. So let's read the passage. Philippians chapter 2. This one great big long sentence. All right, here we go. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you've got any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in the Spirit, if there's any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Quite a sentence. There's so much in here. And so he sort of starts off with, with these gifts. These gifts, you know, as if there is any comfort, any common sharing in the Spirit, any encouragement in Christ, all those things. Now, now, you need to understand, when it says if here, it doesn't mean, well, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. It's kind of a bad translation. A better way of saying it is, Paul says, since there is encouragement in Christ, comfort from his love, since there's a common sharing in the Spirit, since there's tenderness and compassion. So it's something that's already established, something that is already given. Now, the question is, where do these things come from? These things that he's saying, where, where, where do they come from? And, and really there's three possibilities, okay? First possibility is that he's talking about the prior work of grace in our lives of believers by, by Christ. He's saying since, since God has given us these things, since God has worked these things into our heart and into our life, then we're going to carry on. Other possibilities are saying, no, no, this is actually just reminding the Philippians of their relationship with each other. He says, listen, this is what the church is like. And so since this is what your relationships are like, then you know, let's stay in unity. Or the third possibility is that Paul is writing about the relationship of the Philippians and himself. And, and truthfully, there's good arguments for all, all three of them and so on so forth and we could go through those if you want but instead I'll just give you my opinion you can ask me about the other options if you want it seems to me that the, what Paul writes off with is this prior work of grace in the lives of believers 
Because Paul, you know, there's, there's several reasons I would say that. There's all kinds of good reasons. One reason, Lynn Kohick has a good argument. She said, you know what? Well, if you look at this here, if you look at Paul's writings and you look at parallel verses, you'll see that this is actually a Trinitarian statement. And that the love he's speaking about is, is the love of the Father. So you've got the encouragement of, of, of Christ. You've got the love of the Father. And you've got... You've got the Holy Spirit uh, giving his, uh, his, his life and binding us together. And she's got a whole bunch of parallel verses which I made them up together. But most of all, what convinces me that it's the work of God ahead of time, it's these gifts, is that it's God's gifts which give us the motivation and the power and the strength to live out the kind of life that he's talking about. Because the reality is, if you look at those verses and you think about your life and you think about my life and you think about the state of the world, it's hard to live out those attitudes and those actions that he describes. And so the point is that if, if we first dwell in these gifts that God gives us, then that empowers us and enables us to live these things out. In fact, Gordon Fee, who actually argues for the last, for point three, he says, no, this is actually Paul and his relationship with the Philippians because he goes on and says, hey, this is our relationship to make my joy complete. Even Fee, who argues for the third point, says, what, what's going on here is that God gives us these things and then we live those relationships out with other people. So even, even Fee, who argues for the point three, goes for number one. So it seems to me, that what it starts off with is that, listen, if we're going to live in this way, we're going to have the unity as the Trinity has unity, Father, Son, and Spirit, by encountering the living God. And then he will give those things into our life. And as we receive these gifts from God, so we're able to pass those gifts on to other people in our human relationships. All of these things. Now, listen. When he talks about those things that are gifts, um, this is, it's hard to get in the English translation, but, but this is a very emotional time for Paul. These are emotional statements. And it's like, it's like these words of what God has done for us, these gifts, they just sort of come tumbling out of his mouth. And, and we shouldn't get too hung up in, in analyzing the differences and the nuances between each one of these gifts uh, because it might take away from the, from the rush of excitement that Paul has and saying, look, this is true. We've got these things. We have these things. And because we have these things, then we can live in unity, okay? So it's, it's an emotional thing, but we're going to dissect it a little bit just to get them uh, in our mind. But don't lose the sense that Paul, uh, Paul is it's this impassioned pleading for unity and for healthy relationships so that his joy and their joy and therefore God's joy can be made complete. So he starts off by saying, listen, if there's any encouragement in Christ... And what he's saying is that, listen, when we are in a good relationship with Jesus, he puts courage in us. Encouragement. And just means in. And what he's saying is that, listen, when, when, we, when we look at the difficulties and the strains and the struggles of life, whether it's our relationship stuff or we're worried about the war or the economy or whatever the case may be, and we feel like it's stealing our joy and we feel like it's putting this kind of stress on us, what he's saying, listen, what you need to understand is that when you, when you focus in on your relationship with Jesus, Jesus will put courage into you. He'll enable you to face these struggles, face these challenges with his love and grace and power. So this is the second thing. Listen, if there's, if there's any love, we want to say, of the Father, then you can be comforted. Because that really is the foundation of everything, isn't it? 
is that when all else fails, when all else falls apart, when all our relationships are full of strain, when it looks like and feels like it's failing, when we, what the grounding of everything is, this assurance, listen, for God so loved the world. We just finished singing about it, right? Bring all your stuff. Bring all your stuff. For God so loved the world. And in that security of God's love, we can face these things. When everything else is against you, God is for you in his love. And he says, and then on top of that, we've got life in the Spirit, sharing in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the one who joins us, the one who who baptizes us and, and melds us together, the one whose fruit is joy. That the Holy Spirit can come and empower us and enable us to love each other and to forgive each other and to have the courage to move on and to have this fruit of joy in our life. And then finally he says, and the other thing that's true, that is this gift from God, that if we will, if we'll ground ourselves in it, if we will remember it, if we will, if we will live through it, it's the affection or the tenderness and compassion of God. The king and creator of the universe is affectionate with you. He likes you. He's tender with you. There's this sense that God enjoys you. I know that sometimes in the, some theologies and some of our backgrounds, you know, and it's true, you know, we don't deserve God's love because we're sinners and all that kind of stuff. I understand that, not denying that. But please understand this. God delights in you. Amen. God enjoys you. God desires to be tender with you. And I know that there are times when he has to put us under discipline and this sort of thing because I'm, I'm a little slow catching on and so on. But even in that, God has compassion for you. It's the whole thing of the incarnation. Why is it that we can come before God, the throne of grace, with boldness? Because Jesus was tempted in every way, just as they are, yet was without sin. Therefore, we can approach the throne of grace with boldness and receive grace from him. He is compassionate and tender for you. It's such a, it's such a great thing if we, if we can realize this, that God wants to gather us up and be tender and compassionate in the midst of our brokenness. You know, there's a song we sing sometimes around here. Normally, I don't like this kind of song because it's a bit, you know, pansy or but, but I love this one because why? It guys are this. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. But I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. And you tell me that you're pleased. And I'm never alone. That's the tenderness and the compassion, the gift of God that regardless of how far we wander, we just need to turn our head and our eyes once more and the tender, compassionate God of grace enfolds us and gathers us up. These, these are the gifts of God. These are the gifts of God, the encouragement of Christ, the love of the Father, the, the power and the fruit and the unifying power of the Spirit, the affection and the tenderness of the heart of God himself, the Father heart of God gathering you up. And these gifts, when we live in those gifts, they're, they're a source of joy and a great motivation, a great motivation to live healthy relationships, to pass those things on. 
You know, I found in my life that if, I, if I'm having trouble with somebody or some circumstance, I'm kind of angry all the time, or maybe I've got some bitterness growing in my heart or these sort of things. Use this because I'm out of kilter with God. And I've somehow allowed the circumstances of my life or the fracturing of the relationship, somehow I've allowed that to, to blind myself from these gifts of God. And my solution is to, is to say, yeah, this has happened and this hurts and it's not right and blah, 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 whatever the case may be, whatever. What I need to do is get back to this whole thing of what are the gifts of God in my life? What are these grounding realities within which I can live? Because then when I get that focus right, then all of a sudden, my attitude towards people and circumstances can change. So what are the attitudes that he goes through? So we receive these gifts and enables us to move on to the attitude. Well, he's got a few of them here. The first attitude is a unity of mind. You know, it's critical that we get our minds right. If you notice, if you, when we're in through verse 2, verse 2 begins with having the right mindset and it ends with the right mindset. Our thought processes, the way in which we experience and think through and work through the experiences and the relationships that we have, it's so important. And he's saying, listen, what you need to have is a unity of mind. Now, what does that mean? It does not mean some sort of cultic groupthink where, you know, somebody up front or somebody dynamic or whatever, you know, and what they think, well, that's what we're all just, it doesn't mean that at all. What it's talking about is having this unified outlook, okay, a general sense of outlook. And what is the outlook? What is the mind? It is having the mind of Christ, which he's going to go on and talk about, which we'll look at next week in the great hymn of Christ, starting with verse 5. And so when we've received this gift from God, then what we can do is we can begin to have this attitude of, man, you know, I need to have the mind of Christ in this. I need to, to think this through and see things as Christ sees them and thinks of them. And when, when we all do that, when we all say, listen, let's, let's approach this issue, this conflict that I'm having with Aaron. Although Aaron would be a pretty hard guy to have a conflict with. Well, let's just imagine, let's just imagine that we did. If Aaron and I are having this conflict... And we're just, we're missing each other. If we stop and we say, okay, let's, let's, let's think about this. How would Jesus come into this situation? How would Jesus have us resolve this issue? And it's this like-minded of the attitude and the mindset and the view of Christ. It's the first attitude we have. We are together and we are going to have the mind of Christ as we uh, face the assault of the world or as we face the relational difficulties that are stealing joy from us. Second attitude is assured love. Where we take this gift of the love of God for us and by the power of the Holy Spirit we love each other with that same love. We have toward each other the same attitude that God has towards us. We have that same willingness to lay down our life for the sake of the other because Christ laid down his life for us. And it's this, this kind of love, an attitude of, you know what, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to forgive this person. I'm going to be willing to, to bear the cross for this person. I'm going to be willing to pay the price for this person even before they realize I'm paying the price for them. 
It's this, this attitude of love. And then he said the third thing, the third attitude is the sharing of the Spirit. Now, this is not the Holy Spirit. Different word. This is, um, it, it's the word that, you know, it's the word we get uh, like psychos or, or it has to do with our, with our inner feelings or, or our inner spirit. It, it's the unified being together. One of the ways that helped me understand, one of the guys, one of the dictionaries was saying that there's an ancient grave and on this grave, uh, some dude was buried with his wife and it said on the, uh, we thought the same, we spoke the same, we went the same way. One time, a few years ago, I was, uh, we were having a, an annual meeting and I was talking to somebody who'd been married for quite a long time. I said, oh, you know, are you folks coming to the annual meeting? And they said, well, just my, my spouse is going to go. Uh, we've been married so long that we think the same and one of us is redundant anyhow. <laughs> so it's, it's, just, it's this sort of, like, that's, that's, that's what this is. It's this, it's this unified spirit where we're just sort of melded together and thinking the same way and we're having the heart of God. God for each other and for the world. Now listen, when we receive the gifts of God, that's a high motivation to say, man, Jones, you gotta, you got to lighten up your attitude here, boy. There's some attitudes in you that, that are, whether it's fear or whether it's you know, anger at somebody, there's some attitudinal adjustments that I need to make in light of all that God has given me in Christ. And when I change my attitude, then all of a sudden I'm enabled to take on some actions that I normally wouldn't take on. And it's these radical actions that he goes on to speak of. The first action that he speaks of, he says, listen, don't be selfish. Really quite interesting, what he actually says is, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. One dictionary said, you know, that's a very weak way of saying it. What he actually says is, don't even think any thoughts motivated by selfishness. This word, selfish attitude here, it's actually a word that comes out of politics where politicians were doing whatever they could, uh, bribing, persuading, doing whatever to get people to vote for them, so they'd pretend to do nice things for other people just really to get some stuff for themselves. That's, that's kind of the origin of the, of the word there. And he's saying, listen, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't even do nice things for people so that you get the pass on the back. Do nothing. Out of, have you thought about that word, nothing? That is a big word. Do nothing. Don't even think about doing anything in any sphere of your life that's selfish. Oh, man. In my home, in the church, in my workplace, in my school, in my club, in my neighborhood. We think about all of these different spheres of life and God says to us, listen, you know, the pathway to joy, the pathway to a right relationship, the pathway to something that's going to work for you is to receive these gifts from God, have this attitudinal change, and then you'll be in the place where you do nothing. It doesn't even come into your mind that you're going to do something with selfish motives because you've got the mind of Christ. Oh, man. 
It's a big word. We're saying, listen, you want, you want a relationship of joy. You want a friendship of joy. You want a workplace uh, filled with joy. You want a marriage filled with joy. Uh, <laughs> then, then do nothing out of, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Instead, it gets tougher. Instead, be humble and think of others above yourself. Now, that flies in the face of everything that we are told, even sometimes in churches. Can't love others. You don't love yourself first. Look at yourself. All, all these different things. And it's just, it's, it's shocking. It's like, if you're like me, you sort of scramble for ways in which you can't really mean what he just said. Surely not. Surely not. And I suppose, you know, there is, there is an unhealthy way to take that instruction. But it seems to me in our society, we've gone so far in the pendulum swing the other way that we've, we've kind of lost this. I, I like how Ross Hastings put it. In, in his lecture, he said this. What this is, is a call to de-center ourselves to decenter ourselves. Yeah, there's things that we, we do need to look after ourselves. And, and we all know that there's relationships that are just really unhealthy and you've got to cut them off and all that kind of stuff, you know, Henry Cloud, boundaries, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But what this is saying, listen, listen. If you want a healthy relationship, you want a healthy friendship, you want a healthy work environment, you want a healthy marriage, you want a healthy parent-child relationship, decenter yourself. Decenter yourself. That's hard to do. I remember a friend of mine, John Nicholson, says, you know, I never thought I was a selfish guy until I had kids. Decenter yourself. Decenter yourself. So it starts with these gifts of God. And I suppose in one sense that, that is self-care. To, to encounter the living God and receive from him these, these good gifts, encouragement, courage put into us from Christ, the comforting love of the Father, the power and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the reality that no matter how brutal the world is, no matter how difficult your circumstances are, God himself desires to treat you with tenderness and compassion because he likes you, he delights in you, he sings a song of delight over you. And when we dwell in those places, then all of a sudden everything changes. You see, we don't need to make ourselves the center of life when we know that we live in the center of God's heart. I mean, what better center can you have than to know that you live in the center of the heart of the living God? I don't have to make myself the center of life and the center of everyone else's life and the center of our marriage and the center of my parents and the center of my friendship. And center. I don't have to fight for those things when I really believe and understand that I am at the very center of the heart of God and he treats me with compassion and delight and kindness and gentleness. Oh, it's love so undeniable that I, I can hardly speak. It's peace so unexplainable that I, I can hardly think. It blows my mind and yet you call me deeper still. You call me deeper still. You call me deeper still into your love, 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 
Because as I dwell in that place of your heart and in that place of your love, and as I live out these gifts you give us, then my attitude changes. And then I can do this crazy stuff like considering others more important than ourselves. When our reality is that, we don't have to push to the top. We can easily, much more easily, care about the needs and the hurts of other people because we're secure in God. And there's no need for one-upmanship in my relationship with you when I know I'm the apple of God's eye. When I know that, when I live that out, I don't have to step on your head to get ahead. I don't have to worry about your attitude towards me or any of those things or you taking advantage of me, blah, blah, blah. I don't have to worry about that stuff because I'm the apple of God's eye. I dwell in the center of his heart and he lavishes these gifts of grace upon me so that I can live as he calls me to live. We all want a happy, joy-filled life. And these recent studies confirm what God's inspired Apostle revealed to us thousands of years ago that the path to joy is an outward focus. And God empowers us to look beyond ourselves with the gifts he gives, which transform our attitude and empower us to decenter our lives and serve others. And counterintuitively, in that we find joy. You know, it's kind of crazy. But it comes back to that old Sunday school thing. Joy. Jesus first. And encountering him and receiving his gifts and living our life in and out of those gifts. Others second. Because our attitude has changed, therefore our actions can change. And all of a sudden, we can live in this humility of putting others before ourselves. And yourself last. Because as we humble ourselves, almost irrationally, when we dwell in those gifts of God, and we live out our life as Christ lived out his life with others before ourselves, we find joy. So we just got to go back to grade three. Yeah. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. It's a pathway to joy. Almighty God, um, we, we don't want to minimize, and we don't, the incredible challenges that, that, um, I suppose in some sense we all face when we think about global stuff of war and the earth and economics and, and, and all of these things. But we also realize that, that some folks have got it like a double measure and a, a double hit and, and we're not, um, you know, we don't want to minimize that stuff and we realize that there's, um, there's issues of, of uh, anxieties and depressions and, and so on which have complex and chemical things and, and all that stuff and we, we don't we don't want to um, ignore that we acknowledge it and we accept it and we thank you that there are there are physicians and psychologists and counselors and psychiatrists and and so on 
that really help us with these things. But that does not negate these foundational truths for us. That you are a God who gives gifts. A love so profound we can hardly speak and a peace that comes from that that we can, we can hardly think. <laughs> and when we dwell in that, when I, when I dwell in that, man, I, my attitude changes. I'm not as uh, fearful. I'm not as resentful. I'm not as uh, suspicious. Um, it just changes. And then when I've got this changed attitude, even in the midst of, of maybe a difficult relationship or circumstance, then my actions are different. So Holy Spirit, I want to ask you to, to work in our hearts even today. And Lord, if, if there are some of us that are, are struggling because we haven't received these gifts, maybe we haven't even received Jesus and we need to do that. For many of us, it's because we just sort of wandered from these great gifts that you've given us, Lord, and we don't live in your encouragement, we don't live in your love, we don't live in the strength of the Spirit, we don't, we don't have a sense of your, of your tenderness and your affection for us. That's right, Lord, step one, I just, I just pray that you would um, continue to call us into that place and, and help us to get there, however, however we need to do that. And Father, for those of us who right now are maybe struggling with some attitudes that are, they're not good. Help us to go back and to revisit the good gifts that you've given us and, and to be reminded of that so we can live in that and have our minds and our hearts changed so that we can live differently. And I guess it's a little bit hypocritical to do those things so that we can get joy because the whole point is not to be ourselves at the center. But the truth is when we begin to live these ways, then we become agents of joy. And we're able to take joy, our theme for the year, we're able to take joy to others. And so as we think about our relationships right now at work, at school, in our families, and our friendships, it causes us to determine to take joy to others with these attitudes and actions and find ourselves surprised by your joy. We pray these in Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.